0: So folks, right here, perfect example, coastal Coastal marsh customs right here. Here it is. Perfect example. This is the type of work they do. Let's go, Brandon. This is our sign. This is what we got made by them. Uh, Got some other stuff coming too as well. Trying to get them to do me a defiant sign as well, where it just says defiant and kind of the same lettering and the same type uh, background uh, with a burnt wood look. You can go any wood look you want. Uh, You can go mahogany. You can go with whatever wood you want. If you can think of the type of wood you want to see it on, you've got a picture of what you've got send it to him uh, the guy is amazing. Customs at gmail.com. Send it. Use promo code DEFIANT. You're going to save up to 17% on your order. This is all custom woodworking done right here in America, sent directly to your door. It is a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company. One of my favorite pieces right here, just because it was a let's go branded piece, and I just thought it was hysterical. And uh V-Lin loves it, too. We gotta, we're gotta. we going to put some lacquer on it to make it a little bit more def- uh, clear, but I'm telling you right now, this one's a, a killer. We, one of the things we, we just saw him last night, We hung out with them at a Christmas party. One of the few great things I love about this company, we... I just love the way that they can, if you can think of it, they can do it. So again, reach out Coastal Marsh Customs, Inc., uh, Coastal Marsh Customs at gmail.com and use promo code Define. It's going to save you up to 17% on your order. And even VLAN's got some stuff coming too. She asked for some stuff last night. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what he does with the stuff that VLAN asked for because she's never easy to please. <laughs> so
1: And don't forget, let's go, Brandon.
0: Yeah, let's go, Brandon.
2: Tell me now, what do you see? Are we on the road of catastrophe? Did you know a Trojan horse lies? laying in wait for our sons and daughters And once the beacon of light Now the giant's asleep as we are sure In the new age, the new lies. Are we further down the road of catastrophe? Did you know we've drifted away From the truth to apostasy As we build the altars of self We're blinded by hatred, we're blind to the truth So Lord, please
0: Welcome back, fuckers, to another edition of the Patriot Party Podcast. I am the Mick, and with me, of course, is my much better, butter, beloved, better half.
1: Hey, Hello, Patriots.
0: So, folks, tonight we got a special for you. Uh, it's we- our
1: first live show. It is. It's our very first live show ever. And
0: uh, our first live guest.
1: Yes. So uh, exciting. So
0: if you got questions, you've got the chat on Twitch please ask away. I will ask uh, our guest as we continue. Yes. As we got a, about uh, three or four people in there right now and awesome. they're still coming. So
1: fantastic. we're
0: moving right along.
1: So um, funny story on this guest. Uh, this is another one that I met in Dallas because I met so many people in Dallas so and many. The, <laughs> so many. The very last day of the event, because uh, it was a three-day, three-day event, I was in the media room, I'd actually just finished up the interview that I did on Cannabis in Combat with Justin, and um, this guy comes around, and I hadn't seen him before, and um, but he was joking with Justin and the guys, and, and he named them all honorary doctors and I was feeling very facetious. And um, I was a little put out that I wasn't named an honorary doctor. So I anointed myself as the Queen of England and introduced myself as such to this doctor.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, normally most people would see you that way. So I understand
3: where he got that from.
1: I'm married to you after all. I think I said, if they're doctors, then I'm the Queen of England, actually.
3: Well, you know, uh, James Bond's uh, one of the episodes, you know, one of the Mr. Big says names is for tombstones, so
1: yes.
3: you know, if names are for tombstones, where do titles fall? It's really well, not that important. And
1: I figure that We're if- We're all
3: people, but Leo, the the most important title is Patriot.
1: Uh, that there is you, so, true. so true. Um, but I, I do figure that if uh, if we have our way and we get rid of all of the elites, then I'm like um, three. Th- thousand sixty seven down on the succession line for for the throne so who knows i could be there she's still (laughs) seceding.
0: you know the the royal blood um (laughs) so doc welcome um thank you um
1: dr thomas lewis so excited to have you on the show. And I honestly, I didn't know who you were when I started joking around with you because I don't really care, you know, who people are or what titles they have because we're all just people, like you said, right? We're all human. Right. But when I did my research, I found out that you're a medical scientist, um, a PhD in chemistry from MIT. Our kid's gonna be uh-huh. so jealous. Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> he wants to go to MIT so bad. <laughs> um, and a certification from the Harvard School of Public Health. That's mm-hmm. a scary thing in and of itself. Um, an entrepreneur, healthcare professional, expertise in toxic substances, drug development, biotechnology, health technology, medical protocol development. Basically, you're like the the premier of, of who we like to talk to on the show, especially that you're a patriot. Because... Um, your brain is, is what we need that information that's in there to get out to our listeners. Because, uh, you know, I wear this shirt that says COVID 1984, and we talk about how, uh-huh. you know, they're trying to kill us all and, and using our most trusted institutions to do it. Um, but we can talk about it all day. It, it, it comes a lot stronger from someone like yourself with all those titles and letters after your name. So welcome to the show. We really appreciate you being thank here. Thank you.
3: So, thank you so very much. It's really a. A delight to be here and, and be with um, such royalty, you know, <laughs> truly.
1: Well, it's a bastard line, so it doesn't really count. But yeah, <laughs> I mean,
0: she does have she does have a scepter, just so you're aware. <laughs> and you got to watch out for that son of a gun because when it hits, it, it's hard. I will tell you
1: what, that's my broomstick stick, bag. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right.
0: She can't drive very well either. so... <laughs>
1: I'm used to the we, balance of the room. It's
3: a no judgment zone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a no judgment zone. We all have our foibles, so
1: <laughs> um, you know. We, so, so, Doc, tell us um, what is going on. Am I right? Are they trying to kill us all and using our most trusted institutions to do it?
3: Well, you know, it's it's so interesting because um, it it just I like to use simple words, but I also like to use fancy words sometimes. And there is a vast in this is a mathematical term incongruency between what they're doing versus the severity of the disease, and so it it just if something doesn't smell right. So when you looked back in essentially two years ago, right about now, the early scenes from Wuhan where. People, they they had images of people walking down the streets and spontaneously falling and dying. Yeah. That was all orchestrated to instill fear, to start this whole panic. Because when you start panicking, you tend to lose your rational thinking. Now, subsequently, athletes have suddenly fallen dead um, and that that's very explainable in terms of their physiology and what how how much athletes tax their heart, but just normal people, where in the world has a normal person just walking down the street? And th- this was not just one off; it was a supposedly a large number. Where has that happened? So you just start from the very beginning. I'm a person as a medical scientist. I kind of look at things that, from root cause, and if that is not a reproducible event. What was the agenda behind it? And uh, that—that's all I have to say. But you know, one of my favorite TV shows, and I didn't—I don't really watch TV, but someone recommended this, and I got it on um, CD. Is Person of Interest? Yes. And a lot of people love that show. And in fact, um, the star actually um, did a, a keynote. For the VIPs at the recent uh, Truth About Cancer live, Jim Cosavell. I think I th- yep. think I got his name right.
1: I can never but say his ex- last name. We joke about it on here all the time.
3: Yeah, but what's what's extraordinarily interesting is that in 2015, their last year, they did a five-year series. Mm-hmm. In 2015, in one of the last episodes, they they found someone that was resistant to a virus. And they were, the goal was to spread a pandemic. And they were able because of, you know, Reese and the team sort of to intercede, but fear spread. And the next thing you know, you see in New York City, people lined up to get the vaccine against um, this identified virus and the discussion from the people running the evil AI was saying, no, you achieve what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do in this instance was to implant some, some device and grab DNA to do what they call the ultimate sorting, the ultimate sorting of the population. So this was obviously a fictional program
1: there are no fictional programs.
3: Uh oh, good, good point. <laughs> good point. No, I like your interpretation. It's all it's all derived from reality, of course. It's but
0: well, it's all pretty, in two thousand
3: fifteen. I mean. So five years before, and and the the romance novel, you know the how they how they built the story almost was exactly parallel. To what was depicted in that 2015 episode. And it was just a a three minute, a three minute snip. And I grabbed that snip, and every once in a while on some of my podcasts, I'll play that, you know, as uh an introductory to our discussion, just to put things into context of how truth is stranger than reality. So uh I'll send it to you folks because you might, you know. Oh yeah you might the use for it it's extraordinarily interesting you know we just clipped it
1: we we talk all the time about how they use movies and tv shows to tell us what they're going to do because if we do nothing about it then we're complicit and they're absolved of guilt so um usually movies run on like a 10 year cycle and tv shows were on about a five-year 40, cycle well, now 46, it's now yeah. it's like six months because they're pushing stuff out so fast but they're pushing it out so fast yeah, yeah. i mean they, they really and you know stuff. the devil
3: The devil's MO is just to create confusion.
1: Yeah, most definitely.
3: That's all it is. You know, I'm um, I'm writing, I've written three books in healthcare previously, and I'm writing a new one, and I've debated on the title. And I reached out to Dr. Peter McCullough, and I don't want to say he'll be a co-author, but he expressed interest in what I'm doing here. And the original title was going to be something along the lines of, surviving pandemics plural okay and the reason why i picked that title i'm actually not going to go with that title i don't think i'm doing some focus groups but it's still relevant it could be the tagline but the reason why i said surviving pandemics is even the most insidiously brilliant people designing population control or, or whatnot don't have it perfectly down because health is Health is not a simple thing. So this is their first experiment with us. And, and in my opinion, it's somewhat of a failure because the mortality rates aren't as high as maybe they wanted it to be. You know, you can modulate. Um, there's this evolutionary biologist out of Louisville who wrote a book called Plague Time 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what he basically show- showed was extremely interesting. That something like Ebola, which is extremely lethal and contagious, will not spread because you get it, symptoms emerge immediately, you can isolate that person, contain it, and and so it doesn't spread. If, and then, if, like if I remember, seven or eight years ago when Ebola came to this country. There was panic all over the country. You know, there's half half of America is going to die. One, one person died, the person with Ebola. If, A if- nurse got sick, but... She recovered one person. If, okay. if
0: I remember correctly with Ebola, the problem with Ebola is it shows signs too fast. It is not right. as
3: airborne. It shows signs too fast. It's yeah. not as
0: airborne as what they wanted either because once it's outside the right. human body for more than I want to say, I believe the time limit was like 50 something minutes. It's like 51 or 56 right. minutes. It dies. And it does not have a long longe- longevity outside the human body. Right.
3: And, and then you look at the other end of the spectrum and no one quite thinks this way. The true pandemic that we have is the fact that 60% of American adults have a chronic condition. Correct. And that's the true pandemic. And there is the thing about that is there's something called crypticity. In other words, there's no way to associate the disease with some type of exposure, whereas in Ebola or even um covid there is there's at least a way to sort of titrate to a string of people who had it before or whatever so that's the real insidious one because and it incubates over 10 20 years and in my view most of most chronic diseases have what's called a a, a sort of a chronic um, infectious etiology in other words there's a lot of subacute infections tied to um a variety of chronic conditions. And uh, let me just tie in our founding fathers for a second because we're all patriots. So Benjamin Rush is a founding father and he was also a doctor. And I believe he signed the uh, the Declaration of Independence. Um, but as a doctor in 1806, he said, I am just another doctor who contributed to the knowledge that when you pull an infected tooth, People get better in many ways. And and that's really something that is completely lost in healthcare today. I, I know I'm digressing a little bit about talking about that continuum. I'll get back to No, I, theory. Actually,
0: on- actually, Doc, you brought up a really good point. There's something I, I've been dying for a doctor. I've been dying for a doctor to come on the show that could answer this. Um, now, knowing your, a little bit more of your background, obviously, we've read a little bit, Um do you find it odd? At least I do. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. I did stay at a holiday Inn express la- express last yeah. night because I almost got my, the shit kicked out of me. My wife. I did
3: both. <laughs> I, I worked with a doctor and I stayed at a holiday Inn. so see, Oh my even God, you're, you're even I better amplified you're, my knowledge base. <laughs> you're like
0: three times over where I'm at. So that being said, um, I've got a basic question and I'm not sure, I haven't had a whole lot of doctor friends that have been able to answer this. Why is it that for this disease that Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine seem to have this huge success rate defeating this when they are anti-parasitics? Okay, first of all, a parasitic is a parasite. Anything that gets in your body and basically tries to eat you from the inside. Um, these are anti-parasitic drugs that we have been given for years. I mean, not just a couple years either. I'm talking some oh, of the Merck, drugs. That case, yeah.
3: Merck Dr- gives, Merck, uh, one of the researchers from Merck was um, worked with the Japanese gentleman, Omasa, I forget his exact name, that discovered, this substance in the soil, in specific soil in Japan. And um, and Merck gave this drug and may still give this drug away to save the lives of third world children dying from parasitic infections. So if you look at antibiotics and ivermectin, it's a toss up in terms of which medication has saved more lives I- over history. But to answer your question, you know, in medicine, there's um, what are called off-label use. And so the drug is approved or whatever it is, is approved for a specific indication or purpose. And then in use, doctors learn that it has what are called pleiotropic or yep. multi-modes of action. Celebrex so, is about another 20, 25 one. 25 years ago, it was about twenty twenty five years ago, that uh, it was discovered that ivermectin and there's been good scientific studies since then has not only antiparasitic but antiviral so sort of broad spectrum And and if you look at something like um you know our immune system or ozone or hyperbaric oxygen or iodine some of these antiseptics they have broad um efficacy against a whole bunch of Living organisms, in some cases, good and bad, but in a lot of cases, bad. So, so ivermectin is, you know, has more than one one mode of action. But the other thing is, the early work showed that you give azithromycin, which isn't treating a virus, and people do better. So this this sort of ties into my program, which I'll shamelessly promote here. But the point is, people who do poorly. Have multiple comor- comorbidities, in other words, disease states, and and a comorbidity is not really an objective thing like diabetes. It's a, it's it's a human-made point on a metabolic continuum. You know, it's not really, you know, calling it a, calling one person who has an A1C of six healthy, and then someone with an A1C of seven diabetic. It's just where they are in a metabolic continuum but it's these comorbidities. So the point is someone who doesn't do well is someone who's generally not very healthy. And so guess what? Azithromycin, and it's in the Japanese, uh, not Japanese, it's in the early Chinese publications on COVID back in 2000. And, and it, at, it's in Harvard's protocol, you know, Harvard Medical School's like Mass General's protocol for treating in-hospital patients is looking at ba- looking at comorbid bacterial infection so i kind of um use some analogies and hopefully it's not offensive to your audience but you know do we We don't get
1: offended no
3: no but like if the nazis fought on two fronts rather than three or four fronts we might be speaking german today correct if if our body is already fighting on multiple fronts we have a pre-existing viral burden that we don't even know about, but it's there. We have a pre-existing bacterial burden. And I, I referred back to Benjamin Rush, and you know, oral pathogens, which cause a whole host of diseases that are extraordinarily ignored in medicine. And if we don't find these things and treat them, then that person is much more susceptible to a bad outcome. So it's not about the disease. What what I said what I said in uh, in writing this book on the pandemic, but really it's more about health freedom, and I'll transition to that in a bit, is that if our society was just a little bit healthier and, you know, our our way of living, Western culture has spread across the entire world now, and it's an unhealthy lifestyle. So, in fact, I could argue that, you know, the, the global health status of an individual on average is much worse today than it was, say, 50 years ago. If we had the health as a society that we had 50 years ago this thing wouldn't even even made the radar. You mean because
1: 50 years you know, ago when the Rockefeller Medical Institute or Rockefeller Medicine started being taught and practiced in the United States?
3: Yeah, the flex of, you know I'm working on that's in one of my chapters it's, a, it's the flexner report where see that's the that's the beginning of modern health freedom being taken away from the citizen not that it was a, a, you know we can we can argue the the intent and the intent was clearly to control things okay but there there's also some validity to making sure that people that are practicing in a modern world are trained to the greatest degree but what they did instead is they created what we have today, which is called the standard of care, which is a very prescriptive system that limits innovation. And what I'm writing about is if you look at the development of you know, air travel, transportation, um, transistors, all, all kinds of technologies, they have advanced remarkably they have advanced remarkably and we have but more importantly it's not just whether technology advances it's whether um not only does it advance but do we apply it in a way that's beneficial to humankind and i would argue that in the case of medical advancement we're not leveraging the best and brightest to help humans Whereas in almost every other technology, let's go from the Model T to the Tesla. Yeah. Okay. Let's go from you know the the ice the person bringing blocks of ice for refrigeration to the modern refrigerator. Let's look at you know Icarus versus SpaceX. Mm-hmm. But now let's look at medicine. See, we've had an explosion of knowledge in the last 100 years. Yet, I would argue if you look at the data carefully, life expectancy hasn't gone up. And in some ways it might've gone down.
0: There's, there's, I've heard about 26 different arguments on this exact topic. And uh, one of the things they always, a lot of doctors at least tell me, is well, and of course, now mind you, most of my doctor's friends that I know, they're all, uh, military trained, uh, their background is in the military. And, uh, uh, if there's one thing the military likes to tout is, uh, military medicine because military medicine for the longest time was how medicine moved forward. Um, war has always taught us to deal with injuries differently. Um, and one of the big advancements, the biggest difference differences that I've seen, um, especially working on both sides of it now, because I used to work primarily in the military. Now I'm out I'm a civilian and uh, I'm a firefighter and I see where uh, a lot of civilian medicine is way behind where the military is at and uh, the way we deal with, especially trauma. Trauma is a big one, obviously in the military, uh-huh. the golden hour it was created because of the U S military. Um, the reason that we have now we're talking about the golden hour might be out of completely out of play. I mean, in the future, because now they're talking, the golden hour dropping down to a matter of minutes. But the reason I was bringing up the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and the fact that they were antiparasitics, parasitics I do understand that there is several different uses for several different drugs. Um, for instance, like Celebrex, that's the one I was mentioning before. Celebrex has got a multiple uses. Um, it started mm. out as uh, people, you know, getting kicking Think nicotine. I- and anxiety, dealing with that stuff. They found that it actually has a retro nerve complex to it that will help your nerves settle and calm. Uh, Does it do as well as magnesium? Absolutely not, I can tell you that from experience. I took Celebrex forever, and it has had absolutely nothing to do with any of my nerve pain. However, magnesium on the other hand, wow, talk about a night and day difference, that was absolutely amazing. And in the same breath I say that though, uh, normally these drugs, it's like a 60-40 ratio. They're 60% effective for what they're primarily prescribed for. They're 40% effective for the other things that they treat. Um, I've never seen it where it's almost a 60-40 split the opposite direction, where ivermectin for and hydroxychloroquine for COVID use is defeating COVID faster than, let's just say, remdesivir, or any of the or other, is a
3: killer. yeah. yeah or stay away from any that. of the
0: other drugs that they stick you with in a hospital. A matter of fact, I've seen more people survive COVID even with a comorbidity using hydroxychloroquine, using sure. ivermectin, um, taking just regular. My my question is is that is is that the reason why the government is coming so hard against ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, or is there another reason other than money? I, I get you on the money. Other than money, that they're coming after it.
3: Well, you know, it it goes back to my discussion on the person of interest and the vaccine. What else is in it? What are they trying to do? We know the spike protein's in it. Yep. We know there may be these, these so-called toll-like receptors because when they originally did the research on animals, the animal's immune system rejected the spike. Yep. So they had a downregulate your immune system so it could get in. But w- what else, what else is in it? And that goes back to sort of the whole vaccine safety thing. So, um, you know, it the narrative even CNN 2 years ago the topic of conversation was your immune system health. And then suddenly there was this major shift and the only narrative was vaccine and so anything that could potentially compromise, you know, the experimental use authorization, which means there can't be something that's a viable treatment. Otherwise, we can't issue this. And I'm not the world's expert on this. I spend most of my time focusing on what, how to measure and rebuild and, and build health. So like I've I've actually tried to put the whole COVID controversy in the rearview mirror. And I have people on my team, medical doctors and other people that spend a lot more time on this. So I'm not as fluent as, uh, you know, like, um, you know, Corey would be or some of the other pundits on this, but it, it's very clear that they worked hard to marginalize these things. And when people are talking about ivermectin, potentially not being safe. And they literally give this away and give it to children that look if I can create an image because of my age, so they'd be Afrin, you know, so emaciated, not, you know, or maybe more like Holocaust victims. That's that's how these children are. Mm-hmm. And Ivermectin saves their life. Okay. So what is the harm of this drug? I have never, you know, having Studied toxicology at the Harvard School of Public Health and looked at not just pharmaceuticals but other toxic substances. I've never seen a medication with fewer, you know, side effects than this drug. Yet there are many people that believe that they shouldn't take it because it's a pharmaceutical of unknown side effects. Let me tell you, it is given to the most, tens to hundreds of thousands to even millions of some of the most vulnerable humans on this planet. Worldwide. So the agenda is the vaccine.
0: Yeah.
1: So what you're saying is that people who take ivermectin aren't actually gonna grow a tail?
3: Well. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take the tail if it helps me be better at what I'm at. It sounds like an appendage that sounds very useful. But the but the point is if these are treatments and Merck I mean like Johnson & Johnson Pfizer they know Merck give this away been giving this away for decades they all know so why do they shun it? Why do they make people fearful of it? So it's it's not an agenda of health. If it was an agenda of health, treatment would be first and foremost. McCullough has made this point over and over again. and And so it's just not an agenda of health.
1: I got to see Dr. Stella again in Dallas and got to thank her personally for saving my mom's life.
3: There you go. That's
1: a big one. I, I tell you what, Doctor Stella gives the best hugs. You know, she is, she is a, a warrior of God. I mean this this woman brings a, a spiritual axe to the battlefield. Um, and at the same time that she's fighting for you on the spiritual level, she's also fighting for you on the medical level. She's amazing. So if you if you're feeling just a little down, or you're you haven't had COVID, you're afraid of getting COVID. Um, it can be a very scary thing. Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine really do work. I promise you you are not going to grow a tail. Uh Mick and I <laughs> Mick and I both take hydroxychloroquine regularly as a prophylactic even though um well, I think I've had covid, I don't think Mick has, but uh either way, we Still take hydroxychloroquine have all the time. My mom, we gave her ivermectin when she got covid and she was better in 4 days. Four days. And Dr. Stella also has this awesome all-in-one vitamin, which can really help boost your immune system because it's really important not just to take over-the-counter prescription drugs, but in order to keep your immune system at its peak efficiency all the time so you don't get yep. sick, you really need an excellent vitamin supplement. So Dr. Stella is the place to go. Go to drstellamd.com. Dr. St- Dr. Yep. And use use the promo, promo code, code DEFIANT
0: and that will save you up to 5%, not only in your teledoc visit, but also because remember folks, this is a prescription. You are being mailed a prescription. So you have to physically see a doctor first. So you're going to go there. You're going to get a teledoc visit. Your teledoc visit, once your teledoc visits complete, they're going to, if you're sick immediately, they will overnight you uh, either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, whichever one you get or both or both. If you use Promo code defiant that will save you up to five percent. Not only your teledoc visit, but also with the drugs as well. And they will send them. And trust me when I say that they're within forty eight hours because they were there within forty eight hours. Yep. For my mother in law, they were there in forty eight hours. And let me tell you something: I didn't have to hear about it anymore about how she was going <laughs> to die. It literally lasted seventy two hours about me hearing about how she was going to die when and I knew she for has a fact. immunity. When I knew for a fact she wasn't going to. So, Doctor Stella, M D. D R S T E L L A dot or md.com. And again, use promo code Defiant, save up to 5% on your order, both on your teledoc visit and any order you make, even if you get the vitamin, or you get hcq, IVM, whichever you get, get them both get them all and get them shipped to you and save 5% on your order. Like I said, we're only bringing people that we believe in that are patriots, people that we know that are not here to you know, they're not patriots, they're patriots. They're here promoting the same cause we're promoting. They're trying to help the same things you're trying to help. This is what we want to get to you. This will help you recover from COVID. It will help you prevent COVID. Uh, as we're hearing now, we've got news or stories after news stories coming out about, especially hydroxychloroquine, how it can be used as a prophylactic. And even not for
1: the flu, correct. not just COVID, even for the flu. So, so as make like to it. Say, Better to have and not need than need and not have.
0: Absolutely, get it for your own shit box. Put it in your house somewhere, just in case somebody gets sick. Boom, you've got it. Family member gets sick, you can ship them some. Here you go. I got some drugs for you. This will work. Trust me, it will work. Just take it. You will be amazed. You'll even feel better if you're not sick. You will even feel better after taking it. Trust me, it's amazing. So, folks, again, doc, Dr. Stella, D R S T E L L A dot.
1: MD. MD, com. Or
0: MD.com or com, and use promo code defiant and you'll save up to 5%. Appreciate y'all listening.
1: I want
3: to, I want to go back to the discussion on the military because it brings up a point about what I do. Mm-hmm. So you bring up a perfect example of what's both right and wrong with American medicine. We have arguably the best acute care system in the world, it's being usurped by people with other societies with more focus on technology, like the Koreans. But the military, to your point, probably still has the best the best acute care system in the world, and that's all our doctors do. You go there, you have a minor complaint, they slough it off; it's all in your head; it's not, not a big deal. But you know, if if it's a crisis, we're extraordinarily good. Even the CDC, and maybe you don't trust anything from them anymore. No, not a bit. But if you look up, but these statistics are real. If you look up um, CDC chronic disease in America, chronic diseases constitute 90% of the healthcare budget, 90%. And let me tell you, the military doesn't have to worry about chronic disease. They're working mainly with the younger people. We are abysmal chronic disease. These are the comorbidities. Your Long, doctor long-term has no care. Clue.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I completely no clue. agree.
3: So we have a sick care system. You're either healthy or you're acutely sick and we're brilliant at that. But in the middle is my, my program is all about where do you lie on the health disease continuum? Okay. You're not either healthy or sick. Okay you lie somewhere on a continuum and that that position on the continuum kind of dictates your outcomes in chronic disease and so what we ever endeavor to do is measure people extremely accurately for their position on that continuum and then provide them with i don't want to just say interventions because that sounds medical but with a, with programs a program or programs to improve their status, and that's where I think medicine needs needs to be. I, I am trying to build a universal consensus, not within the regular doctors, but sort of the functional alternative integrative, to create standards in this area, so that we can we can have a a more Um, scientifically and medically thought out program for chronic disease, because our medical systems from the American Heart Association to the the American Cancer Society to the Diabetes Society to all the major hospitals have completely failed us when it comes to chronic disease. And there's a study by Rand. It's I have it. It'll be included in my um, my book showing statistically what's going on, but you know, chronic disease, you know, technology and knowledge has gone up exponentially in our last century, but chronic disease continues to go up at a very high rate in terms of incidence per, per capita and overall incidence. So this technology, all this knowledge we're gathering is not being properly applied to the ninety percent of medicine, and that ninety percent of medicine is where people on a daily basis, are just living in in some level of um, misery, from chronic pain, from sleeplessness, from gut issues, from you know fatigue, from brain fog, all these subtle things. That when you go to your doctor, you're getting no advice, no help. And oftentimes you're being marginalized because guess see, what?
0: See, and I was told completely the different. I was complete, I was completely told something different. In the I, military. I was prescribed every drug. No, even out of the military. I have been prescribed every drug under the sun. I still have a bottle of MS cotton and it sits on top of my, on top of my dresser. I haven't touched it because I took one and I slept for about 19 hours straight and uh, I will never touch it again. Cause it, a I didn't like the way it felt and b be it. Yeah. It took care of pain for 19 hours, but it took only care of the pain for 19 hours and I was asleep for the whole 19 hours. So what did it do for me when I was awake? What am I supposed to be a drug addict at that point? But I've been prescribed everything under the sun. And this is where I, I guess our, uh, your opinion, obviously being more in the field, my opinion with the long-term care and the long-term uh, disability and the long-term situations with people, uh, you would think that, well, we look to the military for the trauma. We look to the military for all the need it done. Now we got to make sure this guy lives. Okay, we you would think that naturally that we look to the VA for the long-term care. But obviously the that has not been the case because the VA is crap. But- With that, I've hit doctors here and there in and out of different facilities. Some seem to be about taking care of me and some seem to be about, when I asked about natural, for instance, um, CBD, that was one of my first questions about especially arthritic pain because there's just days that I can't even open my hands. And I asked about CBD and I've had doctors, no, that's worthless, doesn't do anything for you. I've had other doctors say, well, I mean you could take it, it's going to be okay, but if you take this drug, it seems to me like the whole community as a whole has become so reliant on basically what Well, That's we're, the that's the report. What we're doing below your head right now. The self-promoting, I need to make my $200 Same thing we're doing right there, that the whole medical community has gotten suckered into it instead of remembering the oath they took and do no harm. And instead they, well, and do no harm, but you got to make money. You you see what I'm saying? There seems to be this, uh, we've gotten away from what healthcare really is, is taking care of another human. And we've kind of regenerated back to this, I, I hate to bastardize it, but retardation of, well, I got to make a dollar. I get it. You got to make a dollar, but just because you push this many drugs, I don't, see, I'm, my issue is that you have doctors that literally go to these medical conferences. And I, I know about this because I've heard about this. They have these doctors that go to these medical conferences and they get basically assaulted by pharmaceutical companies saying, hey, if you push my drug, you make this amount of money. There
3: are, just so you know, Mick, there are, there's one drug rep for every nine doctors.
0: That's that's ridiculous. Yeah.
3: One for every nine. Let me tell you a couple of things about medical conferences, just so you can get some ideas about our healthcare system. John Warner, at the age of 57, 58, a few years ago, president of the American Heart Association. So you would think the president would be like a model per picture of health for that organization. So he is at an American Heart Association convention, one of the big ones, the, the big one, annual and has a massive heart attack and comes from to a from a whisker from dying. Yeah. And of course the initial reports are oh, Dr. Warner has a minor heart attack resting comfortably at home. Then they interview the EMT Who said, you know, I worked on him for, I can't remember if the number was seven or eight minutes to revive him. So they have, so the American Heart Association now has a new standard for what a minor heart attack is. If your heart stops for eight minutes, that's a minor heart attack. Yeah, right. So my question to you is
1: Myocarditis in children.
3: Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, it's not even, it's so, that's so sad. You know, talking about what they're doing to our children, but, you know, um, the, the, the the uh, chairman and ceo of uh, bernard tyson of kaiser permanente yeah that should be one of the better delivery systems in the country because they're both the payer and the delivery so they have an incentive to manage costs at the age of 60 he dies in his sleep of a massive heart attack you know um then another study which will be in my book is that when there are these big conferences particularly in areas of uh, intervention that involve surgery and expensive procedures and whatnot, hospital mortality goes down. What does that mean? When the fancy docs that do the fancy expensive new techniques are away and these new tech, new fancy techniques aren't being done, people do better.
1: Well, isn't medical malpractice the, third leading cause of death in the country Nitrogenic,
3: they call it nitrogenic deaths yeah caused by medical errors and whatnot yeah so yeah that's the third third cause but you know heart disease it's come down a little bit but it's still the number one killer not for long i mean you know where, where's all this technology believe me the technology is there so the technology is there
1: well that 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 brings up an interesting question because you you said there's a correlation as our technology has increased, our overall health has gone down as a society. Do you think there's a, a direct correlation there? Do you think that um, maybe well, our, our technology is detrimental? Well, if I could share a
3: screen, I'd love to show you something. I'll do that Go right for it. now. Yeah,
1: and I, I think uh, about this in relation to 5G because you know they're talking about they're rolling, rolling out, out the, the 5G. 5G towers yeah. and they're going to interfere with the, the airplanes and this, that, and the other, but they're not talking about how it's i'm um, new waves like that new new radio waves new electrical signals interfere with our health on a very significant well you know we level. we have
3: at, at the end of the day we have to measure we have to measure what these things do and and we can't get presumptuous like i you know i always tell my functional doctors and integrative doctors that you be very careful with what information you spread to people and make sure it's always credible because we're, you know, like Dr. Mercola is accused of being a quack. All these functional docs are accused of being quacks. So so we have to be very careful to do some, perform good science and study the literature and things like that before we make assertions. So, for example, I've had doctors that tell me that they don't use a microwave oven, okay, to heat their food. And I'm saying, okay, well, I'm a scientist, so it's all electromagnetic radiation. So at one extreme of high, high energy, you have X-rays and the other extreme, you have radio waves. Okay, and as we go down in in bigger wavelengths, the energy goes down and visible lights here. Lower energy than X-rays and then infrareds here, lower energy than visible. And then microwaves are here. Lower energy than infrared. Every functional doctor, you know, uses infrared light to heal people. Okay, so I tell, I just tell the functional doctor, learn about base, go back, go back and study your 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 freshman chemistry and physics. And my practice is, you know, you heat food in an oven. That's a thermal. That's infrared. Correct. My, my general practice is, I don't climb in my thermal oven when the food's cooking (laughs) i would hope not and and i also don't climb into my microwave when the food is cooking
0: can't say i haven't tried both
3: but they're both electromagnetic energy and the only difference is the dose makes the poison like selenium is a very toxic substance but in small quantities is essential to human life micronutrients
1: Correct. we take selenium on our...
3: Right, infrared light is extremely healing to the body. But if I create high enough intensity, the dose, if I increase the dose, not the type of light, it's still infrared, but the dose of it, then it can be overwhelming to my physiology. And then the same with microwaves. And so what they're doing with these, uh, you know, the microwaves used in communication is what they are doing is they are increasing the dose and at some level 2g 3g whatever keep going up in the gigs at some point there's going to be a physiological response mm-hmm. and guess what it could go either way it could be deleterious or it could be beneficial or it could be both but you know it's it's relatively new and we need to see the studies so it could be both I depending about it? on do the I person think it will call- cause problems? I do because we are at, at our heart and soul electrical beings. We are, we are electricity, thinking, talking, twitching, moving. Everything is, you know, there's no puppet master with strings pulling on my hands and my mouth right now. It's all electrical. So when does, when is the dose high enough electrically to start causing an interference with our physiology, and and that that is the question. So but you know, in in microwaves, it's what heats your food is not a broad spectrum of microwaves. It's actually a fairly narrow spectrum that's tuned to interact with the water molecule. So there are microwaves that that won't heat your food because they're not interact. It's not a- interacting with any of the material so so what what
0: you're what you're talking about right now are are the elect electrical synapses that happen in our body every day every given moment that move our muscles that cause uh the inadvertent motions i.e your heart pumping your lungs moving breathing your uh veins contracting expanding contracting expanding um plus then your Inadvertent movements, which is your arms moving up and down, your brain sending the impulses to move your arms up and down, to move your legs to respond to pain, your receptors to pain, so on and so forth. Those are the electrical bands that you're talking about right now.
3: And Yeah, let me let me explain this slide for a second and then I'll come back up because I wanna Nick, I wanna give you a little bit of information on that, one of the measurements that I recommend everybody get. And it's an old test that doctors used to do in office and they don't they hardly do anymore but what, what this chart shows us okay this this is taken from the organization for economic cooperation and development an international nonprofit organization that studies the 36 most advanced uh most developed countries in the world and they look at a whole bunch of things from economics political politics and they also look at health and This is a chart, and you can get the data, you can download it from the OECD, but this is a chart that simply shows, for the 36 nations, average life expectancy versus the cost of healthcare on a per capita basis. And so what we see in this green area here are most of the developed nations, Korea, Israel, Greece, Spain, Japan, Japan's always the longest lived, and I think we can learn a lot from that culture. Switzerland, Sweden, all these developed nations, Belgium, Denmark, Australia, Finland, New Zealand, Italy. This is, on average, how long these people live Mm -hmm. and how much they're paying per capita for health care.
2: This is 2018.
3: This is America. (laughs) This is America. We live several years less and we're paying two and a half times more. Mm-hmm. So a simple little scientist like me says, okay, well, let me chart this out. It's very simple. The more I spend, the shorter I live. That's what this chart tells you. You know, but what it's really saying is that America is uniquely putting its money into the wrong silo of making uh, of wellness or healthcare in America. We're treating with expensive technologies the wrong things. Otherwise, you'd expect to see it go like this.
1: So yeah. prescribing drugs that just give more side effects to require more drugs with more side effects instead of-
3: Procedures
1: yeah instead of looking at the root causes of of health issues and and changing diet and exercise and lifestyle and um state of mind if if,
3: if i can give you so somewhere on this slide deck i have um sort of an an explanation i'll i'll bring this one back up here cuz i think this is a a good example too as we jump back to another screen share so ICD-10 is sort of the standard for medical practice. And the ICD-10, it's like the code book, you know, the doctors have to follow along the standard of care and stay within their swim lanes. And why do they stay in their swim lanes? Medical malpractice. Correct. As long as they stay in their swim lane and just do exactly what's in the book and the standard of care.
0: They can't get sued.
3: The patient can leave, walk out the door, drop dead, no liability. But if you leave that and do something outrageous, like suggest taking some vitamin D, for example, then you're, you know, it's a, it may be an exaggerated example, but you put yourself at risk. But the point is there are 77,000 diagnostic codes, 77,000 different diseases. In our approach, we look at mechanisms, not codes, mm-hmm. systems approach. And, and we say four mechanisms, four mechanisms drive 90% of these, the chronic diseases. And if I, if I had to give your audience a hierarchy of what's the most important things that you can focus on for health, it's three, it's three relatively simple things. Number one, consume food that is very high in micronutrients, not carbs fats or proteins don't worry about those you'll get those but it's micronutrient density and at the top of the list in those categories and you can you know you can turn your nose up but it's healthy oils like cod liver oil and liver in in our bodies sorry vegans i love liver bodies the liver concentrates all the nutrients because it's your home depot Your liver is manufacturing everything to repair you, okay? So that's where all the stores of nutrients are to rebuild you based on your DNA blueprint. So high nutrient density. And the reason why micronutrients is micronutrients are the major drivers of the electricity, the electrical potential, the redox potential, if we want to get chemical, of the enzymes. And enzymes are the ones that facilitate all the repair reactions that rebuild tissue like the retina rebuilds every three days red blood cells are replaced every four months in four months from now every red blood cell in your body will be different than what is circulating today and there's a different rate on everything but even bone is replaced okay so eating high nutrient dense food including fiber for your microbiome number two is make sure your digestion. That's you know, the microbiome is a big topic, but the whole, the bigger topic is digestion. Make sure your digestion isn't just good and it's it's perfect, and it's hard to measure. We we measure where you lie on the health disease continuum. Measuring where you are on the gut continuum is is difficult to pinpoint. There aren't great tools per se to measure that. So what I say is improving and um, optimizing digestion is a is a daily pursuit why why digestion because you are not what you eat you are what you absorb that's why the gut is so important
1: i i've always thought it i've always found it interesting or weird that you bring your dog into the vet and you always have to bring a fecal sample with you but when you go right. into the doctor you don't no no vets
3: vets are vets are outstanding doctors compared in compared to how they care for their patients compared to our docs, the the, the ones that deal with humans.
1: The third one- I've I've actually gone to a vet for care before. Um, So yeah, I I would agree
3: with that. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd rather be treated by a vet. But (laughs) the the third thing is all the action is happening in the vessels. And there is what's called the uh, glycocalyx, or it's a capillary bed. Where the little teeny vessels, the arterial and venous, come together, and the red blood cells are flowing like crazy all over the body, except here, and it's kind of like going to the airport in a taxi cab. The cab has to stop for you to get out. So the same with the red blood cells; they literally are going single file, and they have to stop to deliver their cargo and pick up waste, and then then move on again. It's you know, um, it's really what's happening and we now have ways to measure the health of these microsystems and if these things are plugged or we've lost some that's high blood pressure that's hypoxia that's alzheimers that's all these different diseases that depend on bringing nutrients to and waste away from tissue and so those are those are my my top 3 recommendations and it's easy to measure, but let me, um, and it's easy to measure, but let me, Talk um, about Mick, that. Mick, you, you, you talked <laughs> about, we talked about electricity. Yes, we did. So my favorite tests, and I would argue one of the, maybe the most important low cost tests you can get, not some esoteric tests, it's a blood test, is called the erythrocyte sedimentation rate. And erythrocyte stands for red blood cell, and sedimentation just means settling, mm-hmm. and rate is the rate at which it settles. And so the ESR, we take a tube of blood, and that's why it used to be able to be done in a, in a doctor's visit, and you put it on the, you know, inside a, a little, you know, holder for a tube, and you come back in one hour. And the amount of clear plasma on the top that you see is your erythrocyte sedimentation rate in millimeters. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: It's how much red blood cells settle. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're clotting, but they don't mind sticking together. Red blood cells in healthy people do not stick together. I'm going to titrate back to what it means and where it comes from. So if they do not stick together, that means in the tube, they do not settle. So your ESR would be zero, whereas a sick person may have an ESR of 20, 20 millimeters in an hour. So literally we're sitting in our chairs, we're not floating in air, we're being pulled down by gravity. Mm -hmm. A red blood cell is being pulled by gravity as well, okay? So why doesn't it settle? Because there's a force on the red blood cell membrane that's stronger than the gravitational pull. Okay. And that force is an electromagnetic. Every cell in your body is a little battery. And how does a battery work? Just like your, on your phone, it's a lithium ion battery. It's a lead acid battery. It's a flow of minerals. Yep. We call them ions. But in, outside the body, we call them ions. But inside the body, we call them minerals. It's a flow of minerals in and out of channels on the cellular membrane structure. So it's a little battery, creates a charge. The charge is repulsive to the other cell. So when it goes to settle, oops, it pops
1: back up. It's like two uh, magnets. It's like north that don't and north. Stick together, yeah.
3: North and north. And I kind of say like when a red blood cell is traveling through a, a, a vessel where it's their single file, they're never touching, but they're actually pushing themselves along. So let's go back to what creates that charge. Water. It's the flow of minerals yeah. in and out of the cell membrane. So, even though it's not a perfect marker, it's slightly nonspecific. If your erythrocyte sedimentation rate is elevated, what it tells me, and then I ask questions to find out further, what it tells me is you have a gut absorption issue. You're not absorbing minerals and particularly micronutrients that facilitate the generation of that electric charge on that membrane and so ultimately if your esr is elevated you have sick blood Uh but what you really have is discharge batteries and what are those batteries every cell in your body because a red blood cell has the same membrane structure as every other cell from neurons to bone phospholipid bilayer. So this test you know when you when you when you Mick, when you were feeling no pain and you got that 18 uh number 18 needle you could have pulled blood put it in a tube and measured you could have done your ESR on on the
0: I I do that now. I could have could do that tonight after we're done with this. I can definitely go sit down and draw some blood. And I, but and, the,
3: and, the only and,
0: problem uh, is, is you know, and
3: too many people in America have high ferritin, iron storage. So, giving a little blood now and again is not a bad idea.
1: That's my dad is really high. My stepdad is, has has uh, such high iron in his blood that he actually had to have it removed. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: anybody that's over say one fifty with a ferritin, I recommend they. They donate blood. You, you first look at diet. That's where, um, where
0: bloodletting came from way back in the day, if I remember well,
3: correctly. Well, you know, they killed uh, George Washington by letting too much blood. Yep. Well, But so- the only thing is, I just gave a little medical advice, and I need to make a caveat. Because in COVID, ferritin has gone, you know, when you measure people, ferritin's gone sky high. Mm-hmm. And these people, obviously, because they're suffering for oxygen, the OSATs are down. It's not a situation where you wanna lower ferritin by donating blood. What these people have is what's called anemia of chronic inflammation. Correct. Your body and your brain and your being is brilliant. We just don't recognize it as such or don't give it credit. But what happens is your brain knows that iron will catalyze the growth of any organism, even pathogens. So what it does is in COVID with the virus or even other diseases that are infectious is your brain will tell your body to take any excess iron it can and tuck it away and hide it away in storage in this molecule called ferritin. So what you'll see is you'll see ferritin go way up and your iron may go low or partially low, just enough to keep you going okay, while well, hiding the iron. So I, I just love little things like that. Well, you know, well let me
1: ask you this, Doc, because my dad does such a, have such a high iron content in his blood.
0: And I'm pretty sure he's got a lot of high blood pressure. So,
1: Well, there's that too. But he, um, against our advice, I think almost in spite of us, went and took the jab um, three times. So he's he got both shots and then he got the booster. And he's had all kinds of issues since. And I, I, I don't expect him to be with us for too much longer at this point wow um but uh how would how does the jab affect the iron in your blood I mean how, how would that like what should I what should I look for what should I you know what should I expect out of that
3: well let me just sort of give you an, a, a journal overview when when the Chinese started publishing their first papers and uh, my team published a, a paper on covid in probably in August of 2020. And we discussed comorbidities, but we discussed biomarkers that potentially shoot way up in COVID. So let's just take a look at something like ferritin. If your ferritin going to five thousand is deadly and you're starting with a thousand, you're already well on your way down, on your way. But you know, if your ferritin's normal like 50 to 100, it's going to take a long time or a lot more sickness from the virus to raise you up to a point of 5,000. So what we developed in our program is is a way to really accurately measure all these different markers that have shown to go up in, in COVID and create this constellation of disease called the cytokine or bradykinin storm. And what we help people do is measure those markers that go up and lower them so that we're giving you more resilience, like more room, more room to spare before things get dire. Okay. And we don't know the exact point at which a value, you know, a a number goes up significantly to kill you, but C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker. If you're starting, you should be at 0.6 or below. If you're starting at 10, you can easily go to 100, and that, that could be enough to create enough of a cytokine storm to kill you. So, you know, it's never one thing. And what we do is we, have a, we actually have a COVID risk and prognosis panel based on clotting factors, inflammatory factors, oxidative stress factors, infectious factors we talked about very early on, comorbid viruses and bacteria. Um, immune status and, and metabolic status, all of these which are shown to be significant risk factors. So it's not about diabetes. It's a fact that your insulin is already extremely high. And if your insulin is already extremely high, you have a lot more sugars floating around in your bloodstream than someone with a, a normal insulin. It It, just, that's ex- just, it, it exacerbates, that's just feeding the beast. Yeah,
0: it just exacerbates what's floating around, exacerbates around your, your body. Exacerbates everything. Yes. So my next and this is probably the most obvious question concerning this is in your in what you've looked at what your team has looked at what is of everything you've seen is there anything that you've seen that automatically gives you the idea that a this is either man-made or b this is definitely something that started in nature and then finally, I think the most important one, I think what the one that everybody wants to know, out of everything you've see, seen, do you believe that uh, what's going on inside the human body right now, especially with someone who's infected by COVID, do you believe that this could have been done naturally?
3: So coronaviruses are ha, have and are been ubiquitous for a long time but the way this spike protein is ripping at the micro vessels and blood, blood cells and, you know, elevating that D-dimer is extremely unusual. And and I, and I happen to have, uh, so there's nothing analytically that helps me understand if someone is ill, is it a man-made thing or not? Because, you know, sometimes it's difficult to differentiate between, say, a toxic metal-driven inflammatory response with that toxic metal being, you know, from nature but concentrated by man and, and you know, causing a stress versus, say, a uh, a pathogen, a bacteria, things like that. The way the human body responds to um, an insult or antigen, something foreign, if you will, yep. is going to be the same whether it's a, a man-made thing or uh, or, or a natural thing, yeah. for the most part.
0: So a great friend to us and a great friend to you all that he comes on our show all the time, Dr. Sherwood. He's been on our show left, right, and center. Uh, We bring him on uh, to talk about especially medical stuff. Uh, He is a naturopath. He is a naturopathic doctor. So you're aware. Um, And he gives us a lot of great info and a lot of great stuff that will help you in your life. So you feel better, not only about your mental well not only about your physical well-being, but your mental well-being as well. And
1: And, don't forget about your spiritual well-being. Absolutely. Because they've got the Functional Medical Institute in Tulsa, he and his wife, his wife is an allopathic doctor, so uh, he's the naturopath, she's more the traditional doctor. Between the two of them, they focus on your overall health, because it's great to treat your physical body, but if you're not healthy mentally, and you're not healthy spiritually, then you're not truly healthy.
0: So. Go to Sherwood.tv forward slash Patriot party, and you're going to get his free ebook and you're going to save up to 10% on any order of the supplements that are, he supplies there. Go there, check it out. Uh, Dr. Sherwood, again, he's a great friend to our show. He's been with us, uh, for a long time now. We've brought him on. He's been on a bunch of our shows. If you haven't listened to him speak, come on here, listen to one of our old shows. You can listen to Dr. Sherwood. He will tell you all about the, the, the stuff you're getting. You can also get, uh, uh, DNA, uh,
1: Genetic testing genetic testing yep. at his clinic yep. in Tulsa.
0: And they do that all they it doesn't go to China, so you don't have to worry about your DNA going to China. You don't have to worry about anybody supporting Chinese Wuhan lab crap, lab leak crap. Just check it out. Dr. Sherwood dot dot TV forward slash patriot party. And you're gonna get his free ebook and you're gonna save up to ten percent on anything you get there. So folks, go there today, give it a shot.
3: But I'm going to um, I'm going to hold up Dr. Ewald's book. It's not the it's made for the layperson. It's not the easiest read in the world. Let me I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. But it's a very important book. And I'd recommend anybody that really has sort of a scientific mind and wants to understand disease causation, read this book. It's um, time for those of what, you who
0: can't read what
3: we were talking or about. for Those that are earlier, listening and not watching. Ewald, E-W-A-L-D. We um, we talked about this earlier when we were talking about sort of transmissibility. And, and what Dr. Ewald made as a case in, in 2000, so 22 years ago, is that, you know, the Spanish flu, you know, there all these troops are on these steamers and they're in these hospital tents. It's like just spreading on spreading on spreading. But today with... With globalization, transportation, we've been everywhere, and you know, there's a uh, there's a uh, sort of an entry question at MIT. Okay, to give you an idea about how things disperse, and it's um, it's it's a, a half truth because I didn't go to MIT undergraduate. I went graduate, so I didn't have to do this, but. But the basic question is: In a liter of air right now, how many molecules of air—and they picked argon because it's an inert gas—how many molecules of argon are here that Caesar expelled when he said "Et tu, Brute"? Okay, kind of a weird thing. But the point is, six, it only takes about 4 years for what I'm spewing out right now to be completely homogenized across the entire globe. And because of air travel and whatever, we've been exposed to every rat, every monkey, every biting insect,
0: every bat,
3: every bat, anything that can potentially create a plague or or pandemic. You know, there there are some, the only kind of exception of, in the modern era is HIV. And that, you know, uh, Ewald, I don't remember exactly his case, but he explains that well too. But the point is, we've been exposed to it all. And to have a, a new pandemic like this is extraordinarily suspicious. And I think they've already admitted it's a it's a man-made thing. But but the thing is, smart people knew this 20 years ago. Ewald knew this 20, 25 years ago, that if there's going to be a new pandemic. There has to be something fishy. What he said is we've we've been exposed to it all already.
1: There's nothing new in this world.
3: There's nothing new. Martians haven't come down. And, you know, we've got we we got a little team, got 50 miles of atmosphere. You know. The oceans you know the oceans may be the only thing that we could blame, but there's the circulation there too um so it's it's really hard to believe that this just you know sprung out of the ether. Suddenly, no. Did, we've did, we've seen it all.
0: Did Ewald give any opinions on Dr. Fauci? If I mean, he wrote this 22 years ago and talked he,
1: about HIV and he AIDS. He
0: dealt with Fauci when Fauci was in charge of HIV and AIDS. Uh, did he give an opinion on Fauci?
3: No, I haven't not read that the book. I mean, so I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he got into that. He, Ewald's a evolutionary biologist, and he was what he was really doing in this book is you know, us three, our DNA is 99.99% the same. And there's a lot of insinuation that certain diseases are genetic or genomic. And um, what he really wanted to say is like, that's a cop-out because if it's genomic, nothing to do about it, like sickle cell anemia or, or Down syndrome. It's very obviously uh, genomic, you know, but I would argue that there's even some potential that there is some environmental factors for those diseases too. But what he's doing is he's throwing down the gauntlet and saying, look, doctors, step up your game and work with that individual to find out where the hell it came from. Mm -hmm. Don't just treat the symptoms. Find out the root cause. Find out the root cause. You know, I just in the book I'm writing, which I think I'm going to be naming. Pandemic? Well, I was I was thinking of naming it, you know, um, you know, surviving pandemics. But I I really think it's more about health freedom, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, but it seems like such a differentiation in titles. It seems like it couldn't be the same topic, but it's really about health freedom lost, you know, because like like we talked about earlier, If we were healthier, this could never even be faked as a pandemic. Correct. It couldn't be. So it's all, and and, you know, we don't have the ability to have health freedom anymore because of the way the ICD-10 codes are so restrictive and the, the liability, the tail is wagging the dogs. I mean, doctors sold medicine to Medicare and then the insurance companies. You know, and then in 1980, the FDA allowed uh, medical schools—I mean, uh, pharmaceuticals—to participate in medical education. What's that all about? That's so it's not like,
0: about money. That's money. It's That's getting tighter. Money.
3: You know, it—it's what the patient receives in terms of what's what we call a good workup, a good characterization of really what's causing disease, is getting tighter and tighter and tighter in terms of what the doctors can are reimbursed for and are willing to do because of liability and what they're coerced to do because of, um, of payment to them and, and grants. You know, I was listening to Robert F. Kennedy this morning again, and, and he was just saying that Fauci controls over 50% of um, grant funding. Yep. And if you look at medical research, it's different than clinical delivery, but it's still a Mega billion dollar industry. And And
0: actually, when you look at it too, he doesn't just control 50% of the grant research money. He also controls 75% of all the research money that's going on concerning human trials and studies. And that's the part that is the most disconcerting to me. And the reason it's so disconcerting to me is this guy's already done effed up with AIDS. He put out drugs that were killing AIDS patients back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first he tested them on children. Yes. And and we, killed them and in Africa. And we all here, know here in the United States and New York. Well, yeah. that too. We all know this. I mean, this is not nothing new. And yet this guy is still in the position he's in. A matter of fact, uh, we've talked to several people that have told us that I I can't believe when this name was brought up that this guy was still in charge of this. And not only is he in charge, but now he's the head of it. It's even scarier when you think about that. But then when you get down the line, it has been so manipulated and I always say you, you kind of, without unwittingly, you weren't a part of this, but you proved yet again, my point when it comes to follow the money, because all of this is all about money. Like you just brought up within, in college education for doctors, These medical companies, these pharmaceutical companies are at the college doors knocking. It's like recruiting for the NFL. They're right there at high school. Hey, can I talk to your son real quick? I want to know if he wants to play professional football. It's like, hey, I know you have a nerd son who's going to be a doctor one day. Can I talk to him real quick? Because I want to know, is he going to sell Pfizer when he goes to college? These are all things that are uh, just, I mean, these are things that just make me lose my mind.
3: Well, you know, um, I I brought this screenshot up quickly because these are the three books I wrote. This was published. It's a textbook on Alzheimer's that myself and my Harvard colleague, Dr. Trent wrote, wrote the end of Alzheimer's. It's uh, I've by actually pressed.
0: This is a scary thought, doc. I've actually read that book.
3: <laughs> no kidding. And yeah, then quarterback because... your own health and then uncovering chronic inflammation, and hidden infections. And, um, in the Alzheimer's book, what we, um, this is, this is the SED rate test, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Just looking at, oops, I'm sorry. I, I, went off it, but, but one of the cases we made in, um, in the Alzheimer's book is that in, um, so Aricep is a blockbuster drug for treating Alzheimer's and it does nothing it does the exact same thing nicotine does. It blocks um, um, an enzyme that that um, gets rid of acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter. And instead, it allows acetylcholine to build up, and it creates what's called excitotoxicity. But what it does is it stimulates, you know, if you are never smoked before and you take a hit of toba- tobacco with nicotine, it's like you get all jittery and, you know, And that's what it's doing in the brain. And nicotine is actually a better drug or better substance than Aricep, which is a blockbuster drug. But Aricep was coming off patent. And so what Pfizer did, they had five and 10 milligram doses. Mm -hmm. So Pfizer concocted a 22.5 milligram dose, which a doctor could not prescribe by any combination of five or 10. The FDA studied this and the scientists said, this is toxic at this dose. It's no good. They rejected it. Pfizer somehow was able to go over the FDA to health head of Health and Human Services, and
1: but they Fauci's came back and
3: said, "You will approve this."
1: Yeah, Fauci's wife is the head of Health and Human Services. Yeah, this was uh, a couple of years. This is yeah, a bunch she, of years ago. She was then too. Uh,
3: un- unbelievable. Yeah, the, the other thing I think that's fascinating <laughs> is that a student at um, Harvard. Medical student was listening and was saying what the professor was saying is that that's just not right. So they formed, uh, I don't know if it, it was this was the exact catalyst, but there's the American Student Medical Association, and they formed a group to go around and grade different medical schools based on integrity. And integrity really was defined as the association, how many outside associations a medical, you know, a professor of medicine had, you know, related to industry and and other interests beyond their teaching. And then they gave letter grades. And so at the end of the day, Harvard medical school top medical school in the world. The student medical association association gave Harvard medical school an F grade for integrity for really for, for potential bias cause, because the student said like, that's just not, what you're telling us is just not right.
1: It, it sounds what? like these days medical schools, like most schools are teaching future doctors what to think instead of how to think. You know, yep. that's, that's always, you know, and I, I told you the story before we came on the show about how a doctor once joked that I should have been a neurosurgeon because uh, when Mick blew a couple discs in his neck and they replaced the first one and they put a three dimensional stainless steel disc in his neck. And then he blew the one above it. And they were like, well, we'll have to fuse it. And he's going to leave, you know, lose the, uh, he won't be able to move his neck basically he'll lose most of the rotation in his neck and I said mm. well why don't you move the disc up and fuse the one below it so that he keeps the rotation but still has that stainless steel disc right the c1 at the top right yeah. The spine, yeah. so and they were like oh that's that's a great idea
0: well what and, she's not talking to you telling you is that I blew c1 through seven and they, what they did was they put discs at c1 c3 Four and C seven, and then in between that they, fused they, they the fuse ones the ones in the middle. In so right now I basically have. He's literally Robocop. Yeah, but that's I have more regardless. metal in my body than most people.
1: But do. The, you know the the point is that it, it's like they it wasn't in their book of procedures, so they couldn't think outside the box. They they don't know how to think. They only know what to think. And it sounds well, see- like what you're doing in your practice is looking at individuals because that's you know that's that's the that's the problem with the vaccine that's the problem with the, any kind of covid protocols there's no it's cookie cutter it, well, it's one size fits all and we are not one size fits all we are not the same we are each individuals and it's not just about you know man versus woman although we are different as well it's every single person is different and every single person needs to be looked at individually and treated individually and differently
3: what what I what I love about what we we do, and what I do on a daily basis, is every day I'm living forensic files. Except forensic files, you know, when you watch these shows, so much it cooler. takes them months or years <laughs> to finally deduce what how it all went together. But what we've done is we've accelerated that process, and and it might take it might take me a couple months to deduce what's really going on. You know, it's sort of what we use as sort of the funnel effect. We do lowest hanging fruit, highest likely, lowest cost things first, and then and then work down the continuum. The other thing I do is um, always do some very fundamental things for health first and say, let's just readjust these basic things first, and then let's find out if those symptoms get better that you're get all worse. concerned about are still there. So yeah. for example, so many people treat thyroid with thyroid medications. You know, they see the thyroid stimulating hormone a little up and, and women are particularly piqued about this, but men too. Men, you know, women are more, you know, in tune with hormones, okay? And so we're going to put them on levothyroxine. And once you're on it, you're on it for life unless someone really spends the time. It's so much easier to prescribe than it is to deprescribe. It's probably a factor of 10. But what I tell people to do is like, there's an axis from the brain to the gut. So it's like, why are we just looking at this little butterfly gland right here? We need to look at the entire axis. So let's do the most fundamental thing. You are what you absorb, and your liver is playing a, a key role as your chemical manufacturing plant in producing the, the most active hormone, T3. So let's let's work the gut first. And then since the hormones are T4 and T3, the four and three stand for iodine respectively.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Let's make sure you're not in excess of iodine or insufficient in iodine. And then we'll figure out whether you need hormone or not. Now, some people are all low in energy and they they say their doctor prescribed them, you know, levothyroxine or you know some nature T3 T4 combination they feel much better. Okay, good. That that's fine and therefore we know cause and effect. But it doesn't necessarily mean it, it was all at the thyroid it could have been someplace else. So then we'll do a titration to get them off of the off of that drug because ultimately you prefer to be drug free, but that's just a case of, you know, you don't always people come to me and come to my docs and they tell us what's wrong with them. And they've been everywhere and they've they've had, and a lot of times they're right, but a lot of times they're wrong. You know, so I listen carefully, but then I look at the intake form, the surveys we do in the labs, and then say, well, you know what? I think that may be the case, but let's start here first. And, And, you know, what I pride myself on is if you look at the, uh, latin translation of physician and i'm not a physician but i'm a doctor the latin translation of physician is teacher
0: teacher yep when's the last time I like you teacher but it's, isn't
3: it a physical? clinical visit where you actually learn something from that teacher
0: isn't it physical teacher
3: position you know icon. i don't know the exact translation but you're well, obviously I, I
0: do speak latin but i f- believe it means
3: you, physical you watch, teacher you watch out or i want to make you an honorary doctor too <laughs> hey He's i sweet.
1: wait i gotta be king if i'm married to the queen i gotta be king that's not true actually you can just be my consort. i, I guess that's true that's true <laughs> as we've learned um all right so quick quick question for you doc i know we've, we've kept you a long time here but um one of our Favorite listeners, longest listeners who's watching live right now, she sent me um, this letter. Uh, she got it from TRICARE. She's also military. And uh, let's see the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency use authorization for Paxlovid for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID 19 in adults and pediatric patients over 12. Paxlovid is covered for TRICARE beneficiaries if ordered by a provider. Oh, we got that letter too. Of course, I just don't read our mail. Yeah, I know. Uh, This treatment should be initiated as soon as possible after diagnosis of COVID-19 and within five days of symptom onset. Um, Is Paxlovid, is that uh, that Pfizer-Mectin or is this uh, a completely different drug? Is it something that we should take? Should we be concerned about it?
3: I'm pleased to say that my approach is to not know anything about pharmaceuticals.
1: Awesome, okay.
3: Because then you become, you know, I'll look it up and I do, you know, because I do have plenty of people that come in with a our, our, our treasure trove of medications are on and then we'll pick through them and look at it. But I I explicitly, I'm completely ignorant. Um, so it looks like looks like uh, I did a little reading on this. When was it improved for immediate release? Yeah. It looks like this is the, um, the Ivermectin look-alike, The Pfizer, Pfizer. What is the safety profile of Paxlovid? It, it doesn't tell you yeah. in that letter. Studied versus the safety profile of Ivermectin. Uh, and pro- so what Peter McCullough is brilliant in his interviews he starts off with the most basic thing. What is the safety? Mm-hmm. A treatment that treats like we're stuck we're stuck with chemotherapy and that's a long that's a long discussion too because doctors make more on chemo. Well, they probably make more on COVID now, but they make more on chemo than any other thing.
1: Well, they do for and 5 years anyway until the patient both, dies.
3: Yeah, the toxicity and the therapeutic benefit are extremely close together. We don't know about Paxlovid. When you have an emergency use authorization, has this been studied for five years for safety? It hasn't you know, even Viox- been out
1: for five months.
3: Yeah. Vioxx was studied for five years. They released it, and then it it's reported. We don't know the actual numbers, but it, we know for a fact it killed at least 60,000 people. And that's after years of safety studies.
0: Here's a drug I love to put out there too, because this is funny when people ask me about like studies on drugs, they're often very quick about it. They say, you know, when, you know, everybody asks me when drugs are studied and I always tell them, look, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you this much. When anthrax was first, first given to the military, right? Anthrax was studied for a grand total of nine months nine months before it was given for the first military member. Are you ready for this date too? Because this is the one that blew my mind. I thought that anthrax was like a whole new thing. I thought the first time that anybody got an anthrax, anthrax injection was basically just after Desert Storm. What I found out was the first injection of anthrax that was ever given to a human being as a vaccine was in 1961,
3: which uh-huh. blew- I would have expected it to be earlier than that, but which yeah.
0: blew yeah. my ever living mind.
1: Yeah, he thought yep. he got the first round of, of anthrax shots, and his the, dad was like, nope, not, I no, got that no. shit in Vietnam.
0: I got that before I went to <laughs> Vietnam, and I was like, all right, well, now I stand super corrected, because I thought, and then I had to go look it up, and, you know, trust, me, I'd verify, which is what I do for everything. you think matter. after
1: 40 years, they can make it not a big, thick, gray sludge. And it just still
0: is, t- well, no, now it's not, now it's clear, but the first one I got was a big, white, shot and they stuck it right in the meat at the back of your arm. And I had a goiter like hanging off the back of my arm for like two weeks. And then I got sick as all heck, like 104, 105 degree fever. uh, Couldn't keep anything down, was puking all the time for about a week straight and then it was gone and I had nothing. And he hasn't been sick since. I I don't seem to be able to get sick. And then I got the second round because they didn't believe me that I got the first round. Very
3: interesting. And you know, the fever is a very beneficial process you know the military have done some things. You know the secret stuff with Lyme that's a, that's a bit of a conspiracy but the other one that's really yeah, hard no, Lyme to Lyme disease
1: was created and released yeah, absolutely. The other one yeah. that's
3: really hard to find is um and I'm into these I'm into these uh, stealth infectious substances. So toxoplasmosis is the disease but the the, the intra So, microscopic parasite, intracellular parasite, it's called Toxoplasma gondii. Doesn't that? And it's.
1: Don't you get toxoplasmosis from cat poop? If you're pregnant. Cat poop. Yeah. Because dirty
3: water. Yeah. uh, Raw food. But the number one thing it can cause when it's reactive is like schizophrenia. So, it affects the brain. But what they found is when they looked at Toxoplasma gondii, it made rats unafraid of their enemy. Cause there was, there was this cycle. The cat gut would develop the to- would, would allow for the growth of the toxoplasma. The cat would poop it out. The rat would eat the cat poop and then the rat would no longer be fearful of the cat. So the military, as far as I understand, was using toxoplasma gondii to make war fighters fearless.
1: That would make so much sense. No, you you know what they did. Okay, hold on. Totally, but you, know, you know about be,
3: toxoplasma? I do.
0: So before before we get all crazy
3: with it. I've never is, met anybody that really knew about it. Well this
0: is well, this is where it was really cool know that with I something
1: I I'm used to do to back clean in the cat day. Litter, but okay.
0: Um when right. the rats when they noticed that the rats were no longer scared of the cat, they extracted their blood. Because what is plasmosis? What does it affect most commonly? Sounds like plasma. Affects your blood, but it also has another effect inside the brain. This is where it got interesting. So they extracted it, they studied it, and what they found was that there was a euphoric effect caused from this. It makes you high. This euphoric effect was also reproduced in another drug that was uh, class 4 contraband in the United States under the DEA, which is also called acid, And what they started to do was give soldiers little tablets of acid in the 60s, (laughs) and they had them sit down and talk to goats, amongst other things. They had them perform complex tasks while they were absolutely tripping balls and seeing shit that, like most of us, would just absolutely lose our mind if we ever saw it. And uh, they studied the effects that it had on soldiers. And now everybody tells me that this is crazy. No, that's just conspiracy theory. You ready for this one? I've seen Mm -hmm. the stalls where they kept the goats. I've Mm -hmm. seen the barracks where the soldiers used to live and what they did to the inside of those rooms. And that is some crazy crap to see when you're absolutely zooted out of your mind and the shit that you will do to get out of a room. And it is ridiculous to think about how much acid they were taking at the time. Because if you think about the sixties and acid double dip, Jerry Garcia's were the number one little brick of acid that were rolling around in the sixties. And they were considered at that time to be completely toxic for human being consumption.
1: I we were Amazing. Just feeding it to soldiers. To oh, and see what they, were, they would do.
0: They were, the, and the reason that I say that, and this is the one, study, there's actually a study on it. Uh, I, shit, I wish I could pull it up. I can't because I've got this whole live thing going on. <laughs> but there was this article that was written back in the 60s. A guy ran from the cops, had drugs on him, jumped in a pool. He, he had two sheets of acid on him, Der- double-jipped Jerry Garcia's. They were right up against his chest. He hit the water of the pool, and Doc, go ahead, take it away. What happened? It got absorbed really, into... I,
3: you know, I miss that whole generation. <laughs> you tell me.
0: No, no, no. It got absorbed into the skin. Uh, I, shit. I did uh, some acid back in my day, but I can tell you right now, oh I'm not God. a doctor. This got absorbed into the skin. And uh, by the time they pulled the guy out of the water, he was dead. And uh, not only was he dead, but they gave him everything under the sun. And Narcan's been around for a hot minute. Don't think that, don't anybody ever think that Narcan's a new thing. Narcan's been around for years and years and years. Narcan had absolutely no effect on this guy. Epinephrine had no effect on this guy. There was no way to get his heart started because his whole brain was working backwards, shutting everything down. Nope, can't be alive anymore. Got to turn it all off. So there was, it was psycho, psychedelically stopping his body, those electrical impulses, as you just showed in that image, mm-hmm. uh, stopping those elect- electrical impulses from working. It completely separated that electrical bond, the brain from the rest of the body. And uh, that had such an effect that doctors automatically were like, whoa. And then when it was learned that the CIA was involved in this study, as well as the military, that was almost immediately, uh it was it was classified. It was tossed into a black bag and it disappeared, and nobody knew what happened to it. And those individuals were released back into the army, which is really funny to learn. I've I've learned some of the names of the individuals that were involved in that project, and to find out what actually happened to them, uh, they literally died of schizophrenia years later, like four or five years right. later, within four or five years of their release from the military. They died of schizophrenia right. because of all of the acid they had taken, they had completely lost their mind and ended mm-hmm. up either taking mm-hmm. their own life or uh, eventually dying from symptoms involved, involved with that exact thing that we just talked about, about the electricity in the human body. So it just, that always is- Fascinating,
3: isn't fascinating it? fascinating tying it all together, Mick. Fascinating tying it all together. I, I, you said it. One, one of the things I, one of the things I heard that made Toxoplasma Gondii a failure in warfighters, despite that it made it fearless, but it slows reactions. Yes. So, you know, that's a bad comment. I mean, that's not a it it's a win and a lose, so you are so net
1: neutral. Well you know, now they so. now they use nanobots in the soldiers' brains to control them and make them, you know, move faster. No, no, stuff. no. no, no but, they
0: gave us a We were the Can first.
1: I Can <laughs> I get one?
0: <laughs> you don't want one, trust me. These so, things will tell the government exactly what you're thinking.
1: No, I
3: uh, know I I, I Look, person of interest. It's all about getting the DNA and implanting, uh, implanting a twenty-four hour monitor in every human.
0: So tell me, how many times have you thought that you know you wanted to make clothes or buy clothes that you wanted to feel good about wearing?
1: You know, it's really disturbing these days going shopping because there's constantly in the back of my head is is this company, you know, contributing to the deep state? Is this one supporting the evil in our world? I don't know who to buy from anymore.
0: So, we went ahead because we told you a long time ago that we were going to bring only companies that we thought were patriot oriented, believe the same thing we believed, push the same values that we push, and uh, we found uh, we found a bunch, and one of the ones, our first ever sponsor, was Cultural Life 1972. Cultural Life 1972 supports the culture of life, not a culture of death, folks. So, uh, they are completely, um, they're against abortion, and uh, they believe in the movement to get rid of abortion and uh, Roe v. Wade and everything else so that we can go back to a, a culture of life. Their money, uh, 33% of their profits go directly to the culture of life, and they support um, anti-abortion foundations that have been doing this for a hot minute since 1972, and the reason that it is 1972 is because why?
1: Because Roe v. Wade was uh, put into law in 1973, which was when the culture of death in America started. So we changed from a culture of life to a culture of death. So if you go to col1972.com, you can also sign up for her email list and you can get the naughty nice list. So uh, she'll send you a list of the companies that support the evil deep state, and the ones that fight against it. And that's a a pretty important list to have these days.
0: And and Carla, she's a great friend of the show. She's been helping us out from the get-go. We told her that we'd support her here because I agree with what she's doing. I believe in what she's doing. Furthermore, not only do I believe in it, but uh, we've gone as far as to buy a couple products ourselves. And
1: uh, It's actually amazing quality. I wore the T-shirt yesterday. It's so soft and comfy. You know, sometimes you put on a T-shirt and you're like okay, this might last for, you know, five or six wearings. This 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 is going to last. I mean, this is good quality. It's made in America. Um, it ships to you. And uh, you don't have to worry about it sitting off the coast of somewhere in a ship coming from China. It's actually made here in America. So that's uh, that's another really important thing these days.
0: So, folks, again, culturelife1972.com. Use promo code PATRIOTPARTY, and that will save you up to 10% off your order. All
1: right? Okay. So, and actually I was going to ask you that because we actually, Mick proved, well, he found in Fauci's emails, um, he, we did a, a deep dive into Fauci's emails when they first came out. Um, now some of the stuff that we talked about six months ago was starting to hit the mainstream, but we we proved that the vaccine was developed well before COVID. COVID was developed oh, yeah. in a lab, but not only that, and, and I just heard this again today and we've heard this from so many different people now, but we, we broke this six months ago, eight months ago now, um, that every time you submit your DNA to the Human Genome Project, 23andMe, Ancestry.com, et cetera, a copy of that goes to China, and they were using our DNA specifically to develop bioweapons against specific genetic populations.
3: once it's, once it's out of your body, it's out of the box. You have no control over
1: it. Hey, well, and that's true, too. And, you know, that's they they can use this to develop a virus all, all day long. The thing about a virus is that no matter how hard you try it, it's never going to infect everybody. But if you put it in a vaccine, then, you know, you have the potential to stick that in every person's arm. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I mean I I think the whole thing was planned from the beginning, and I think that the ultimate goal was to vaccinate the entire world. Um, What do What do you think? Do you pure speculation? I completely
3: agree with that. You know,
1: what do you think the purpose of the agenda is? So
3: clear, and and to vaccinate five to twelve year olds that have, you know, what what's interesting the difference between the COVID virus and say the flu, is that. In the flu, zero to six mortality is pretty high. It's sort of the same as like a 75-year-old, so it's up like this. Whereas in, so in in the flu, you have m- mortality on the young, then it mm-hmm. dives down to like from six, it's really, really low, and then starts creeping back up as we age. In um, COVID, the mortality rate for the young, the very young, Is so significantly it's the lowest. Okay, so what that tells you, and I'm I'm no genius in immunity. Okay, I I mean I know what I I know what I know what I do and things like that. But um, you know we have an innate immunity, which is our white blood cells and B cells and T cells and things like that. And then we have adaptive immunity where we, you know we see something as an invader and we create an anti, you know, an antibody against it that can that can kill it. Children zero to six have a very immature adaptive immune system because they haven't been exposed to a lot. They haven't really. It's like building a muscle. You've got to exercise it. And they have a very strong to compensate. They have a very strong innate immune system. So what that simple knowledge of immunity tells you is that the flu will be more influenced by a vaccine. Whereas the uh, COVID virus will be less influenced by a vaccine because innate immunity is showing much greater protection, whereas in the flu because you have higher mortality at that age group when the adaptive immunity hasn't developed, that a vaccine is more likely to have value. This is basic stuff. This is basic. Anybody can figure this out. Yet the whole agenda is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Whereas the real agenda should be immunity, immunity, booster immunity populations, yeah. which Peter McCullough talks about. We now have time because we've worked on those comorbidities and innate immunity. We now have time to roll out a vaccine program. Normally, that may be valuable in vulnerable populations, which really is our older population. Because what our older po- population experiences is a called immunosenescence; they're losing real innate immunity first, and that's why the seniors are having issues.
1: And and yet the seniors are dying at the highest rate from the COVID vaccine. Um, and, and right. pe- people don't really talk about that, but but it's the truth that more seniors have died from the COVID vaccine than it, more people over the age of sixty five have died from the COVID vaccine than under the age of sixty five. Um, it's significantly yeah. more detrimental to their health. And
3: and what I, what I'm seeing is whether you've had COVID or not. If you had COVID and you've had the vaccine, you know, once again, I can't tell which one will have potentially more lethality right out of the box. Because there's a lot of there can be potential latency. But what I do see is an elevation in, in what are called monocytes, which convert to macrophages. They're basically the Pac Man of your white blood cells. And they're and they're scooping up the um the spike protein. So thank God we have monocytes that are constantly working to purge uh this toxin from our, our body, but there's no question I'm seeing a significant elevation regardless of of whether you're getting the vaccine or the virus. And what that tells me, if you got the vaccine and you haven't had the virus, your macrophages are up, your body doesn't like that damn thing. So Not one bit.
0: One question real quick. Um, and this is the last one, I promise. and We're going to let you go. <laughs> But I do have another question because you brought up a really good point. Tell me something. Where did the flu go?
3: <laughs>
0: Am I the only one that finds it weird that the flu is no, just now not you know, an issue? I thought,
3: thought about that. And it's like, yeah, I've heard other people talk about the, the disappearance of the flu. The flu isn't very profitable.
0: Apparently not.
3: No. So why do we worry about the flu? Whereas, you know a couple of years ago is headlines that the flu vaccine now keep in mind I'm pretty convinced that the flu responds to based on mechanisms a, a vaccine much more so than covid yet 2 years ago when covid first came out the flu vaccine that previous year 2019 2020 was only like 45% effective yeah and you know one of the most prominent cleveland clinic doctors died of the flu yep
1: Interesting Dr. Judy Mikovits actually said that the 2019-2020 flu vaccine is what caused covid that they deliberately put covid in the 2019 flu shot that was so ineffective it was ineffective against the flu but according to her it was effective for what they wanted it so mm. anyway You that's know that's just look, speculation but from I mean, you, you know can, Dr. Mikovits
3: Nobody's breaking down these vaccines in terms of their pieces, parts. There's no, there's no label on this that says it has, you know, modified cornstarch or whatever. It's like, you don't know what you're getting, but you're putting it in your body. No, there's no disclosure that I'm aware of. I could be, I don't think I'm naive on this. There's no disclosure on every constituent that's in it.
1: No, ab- you're
0: absolutely right. Well, I, I don't think that anybody has uh, been given the opportunity to actually take the vaccine and break it down. I don't think anybody's been given the ability to uh, molecularly decode. I mean, some people have what is you know, in it. Stolen they, some vials well, and they tried, it, but, yeah. and they found that the ones that they stolen were what they were saline.
1: No, thirty percent saline.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. I, I mean, I
3: realize, and that, there's you know, and I There's probably intentionally. Because there's been some reports mm-hmm. of different lots being different than other ones, so yeah, double blinds. Um, you know, it's really different. It's it's going to be a real challenge.
1: Well, it's a trial, right? And what do you do in a trial? You have a control group. That'd be the you placebo. Yeah, and but then, that's exactly. But, right. but, but then that's you have where, to find. That's the, where they
0: screwed it up, though, because they do. But not you have, have to find a the control dosage.
1: Group. They're they're literally doing dosage trials, right? They have different levels. No, of No, but what's they in they it. have
3: the control group because they know the lot numbers.
1: Yeah. And now they're pushing the booster because they're past the control group and they just want to shoot everyone up. So... I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Well, Doc, this has been absolutely amazing.
3: Let's just put it this way. Based on the fact that we're inoculating kids that have almost zero mortality to this, when you start doing this, then anything that we're suggesting here today is in play. Yeah, absolutely. Because to do that to our children... You have have to be really screwed
1: up in your Oh, it it gets worse now. I heard on the news tonight that they're anticipating next month they're going to approve the shot for two- to four-year-olds. But their initial testing shows that two shots of the vaccine is basically completely ineffective for two- to four-year-olds, so they have to give them three shots. Kids are getting three shots. Babies, toddlers, three shots right off the bat. Two- to four-year-olds. You know what?
3: Uh shall we break into a chant of we shall overcome? Right. Because that's all we can that's all we can do right now uh, and I know, was thinking I, we just I've break out into our, a chant of let's go Brandon. Uh, <laughs> you know, all I'm trying to do is the number one thing I'm trying to do and it, it's not obvious is to dispel fear because fear makes people make wrong decisions. So if you can understand your health and your risks, it gives you a little empowerment. So maybe you'll have a little bit less fear, but fear is the evil. Money, what it's driven by, it doesn't matter, but fear is creating the compliance. And that's the worst thing when we start, when we start complying without, like you were both saying earlier critical thinking then that's where we become wards of the state and that that's the scary thing so i'm just trying to create uh, contribute my little piece of helping people understand their health so they're a little less fearful and i um, feel a little more they have a little more they're wielding yielding a little more power on their own and not being so dependent on the job I'm you know, gonna I'm gonna nerd on.
0: out I'm gonna nerd out for one second and I'm gonna say that fear is the mind killer and only those who have ever seen the movie dune are gonna understand exactly what I'm saying but uh, that is honestly
1: fear is the mind killer fear is the little death that washes over you and, you yep. are
0: you are you couldn't be more right um on so many levels because if there's one thing I realize, especially uh, serving our country and doing what I've done for this country and the things I saw in people that were truly 100% scared is the one thing that always seemed to get them through it. And even though, my butthole was puckered tighter than most. And I tell you what, if you stuck a lump of charcoal up there, and in about two hours, you would have a diamond because of how puckered my my butthole was, you would never have known that had you been standing next to me. And that was the one thing that always got them through it. Hey, the old guy seems he's an old guy. When there's an old guy who's in this line of work, there's a reason he survived this long. Maybe we should follow him. He knows maybe a little bit about what he's doing. And there's always that added bit of in special forces.
1: Thirty-five is considered the old guy. So. Yeah. Well, I mean. Oh yeah. No question.
0: <laughs> it's a young man's game, and you know when you're the oh, only, yeah when you're the oldest guy in the company, and you're older than even the company commander himself. It was kind of like, holy crap, if he's made it this long.
1: That's true. You were forty when you got out, weren't yeah,
0: you? Yeah. They were like, if you've made it this long, there's uh, we're definitely following you because you've done this once or twice, and you're still alive to talk about it. Therefore, but,
1: you know, Doc, you're you're absolutely right because. I, from from my experience, when Mick went through his brain surgery and the doctors flat out told me if he survives the surgery, which there's a 50-50 shot, he won't ever make it off the operating table, they said, they're, they're he's going to be dead in five years. There's an 85% chance he's going to be dead in five years. And I said, okay, well, what's the other 15%? They said, oh, well, we just give you that for a little bit of hope. Everyone we've done the surgery to is dead in five years. So we're just telling you 15% chance of, you know, just to give you a little hope. But I don't I don't like hope. I do like to suck the hopian pipe occasionally and I like to give hope to other people, but I personally prefer knowledge um, because that's going to get me a lot farther as far as fear goes than, than hope ever will. So I spent a year, probably a good year researching, finding out everything I could. I mean, reading medical textbooks that I had no foundation for or so having to back up and, and read a more basic textbook so I could understand the terms in the bigger textbook, um, learning about arterial venous malformations and craniotomies and embolizations and all of these things, even though I wasn't performing it and even though the the percentages didn't change, just the fact that I knew what they were going to do, what the options were and what the outcomes were that eliminated my fear, and then I could pray, and then I could have faith, and then I could say, "Okay, right. I, I know that this is this is the chance. This is what's going to happen. Um, so I, I need your help, God, to to, you know, make it to that chance. And uh, apparently, it worked. But having that knowledge right. but, base was but, instrumental.
3: But see, we're going we're going actually full circle, because see, that's all about uh, health freedom. And your doctor's knowledge is health freedom. And then the, once you have that knowledge, the ability to follow the, what the path of knowledge would bring you down, that's where we're stymied. But see, what you did, and my hat's off to you, is you obtained freedom through that knowledge. The freedom to be at peace, the freedom to understand what could be and your fears were somewhat abated because you gained some control over the situation. We don't, you don't release control. You need, to bring, you need to bring control back. You need to drive your own health. You need to drive this because the system is not giving you that freedom. They're, they wanna take your freedom away. And knowledge and freedom are obviously intimately intertwined, unknowing causation, why what the procedure can potentially do and you looked at it objectively to the extent where you were actually able to contribute viable information doctors are not gods your investment advisor is not the, the god of your money your you know and and you, and your pastor is not the god of our universe just it's just a just a tool so, you know, you can't, you can't put these people up on pedestals. And, and you've, you can become an expert on, on these topics. But the thing is, the biggest thing that happened to me in my career is I met this fantastic doctor at Harvard who had been doing the Deming model. And that is measuring, treating, measuring, treating, measuring, treating and he could give a damn about the standard of care. And as he measured and treated, he learned what measurements affected what treatments and what treatments affected what measurements and continuously improved. And so when I met him 20 years ago, he, he guided me down a path. And you know, there are so many paths you can take. And I was blessed to be at least directed down what I consider an extremely important path. So I got a, I got a head start, you know, because you can go down many, many, many rabbit holes. And, uh, you know, my my hat's off to you to take a, taking the initiative. And my only reason to mention the rabbit hole thing is that um, sometimes it can be a daunting task because there's so many different directions you can go. And if you listen to the pundits. And then you just go down that path, they're, they're often wrong. Yeah, so well, you have to go wrong. in a different direction. Not only you have that, to go in there.
0: Not only that, it's a, like it's like learning another language. It's like you're, right, it is. You're learning something completely foreign to what you're used to, and you're opening your mind to something that technically you thought you'd never be able. Uh, you have no idea how many people have told me, "Why aren't you a doctor?" I was like, "Well, never went to medical school. Why didn't you go to medical well, you know, school?" Well, because it, um, you I know, didn't in. do very well in high school. <laughs> You have no idea how many people are closed off just because of that thought process. Well, you weren't a good student, so you wouldn't make a good doctor. Normally, the best doctors I made were the guys that did horrible in school.
3: Well, there's no, I mean, there's, it, it, it's obviously incongruent when you look at some of our statistics. But I you brought know, you we, right
0: back to that reward. You started with that right. word. You're ending <laughs> with that word. You don't.
3: You, I don't think you, Mick, you want to be an honorary doctor because it's. <laughs> It might actually be demeaning to you, but you know, when I look at what I do and I work with people, I talk to clinicians and do listen to webinars all the time. I read the literature, I read books, but the times I'm at my best is when I don't worry about what I've been taught or what I think I've learned. And let my brain just kind of distill things. Mm -hmm. And then when I go into various forms of meditation, and I have my own way to meditate, which is not just sitting in a Buddha position and and thinking. It's usually up in the hills of of East Tennessee, up in the, the Smoky Mountains on my gravel bike on roads where I'm the only person there.
0: That's a good place to do it.
3: And I just release. You just release because... When you're caught up in the anxiety and the and expectations that you know everything about something and doctors, that's where doctors are. And they believe me, as we've talked about tonight, that what they really know about health is a pittance. But, you know, finding those times where you can just allow yourself to reflect without putting energy into thought is where I do some of my best work.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on tonight, Doc. We've wasted enough of your time. When I
1: Where can people find yes. you if they they want your assistance or they have questions or they just want to follow your work? Where can people find you?
3: Yeah, so our you know, our website is rather long, but it's 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 tells the story. Health, obviously. Health Revival. We weren't we're we're a, a, a Christian or, you know, god-fearing group that wants to revive people's health, and then the last term is partners, plural. Health revival partners, because our philosophy is if you're not engaged and knowledgeable about your health status, we're much less likely to get you well. It is a partnership. And so what we generally offer is very robust testing, way different than the standard of care interpretation very different than the standard care and then remediation programs all built into a package so we're not a lab company or anything like that but we do really we can do the simplest to the most esoteric testing but the most important thing is then to work with the individual to understand what that testing means so that any suggestions we give are meaningful in the context of their health. So we're really educating people on what is going on in their terrain, in their milieu, and then helping them develop plans to fix it. So we have very we we express our data very simply. So a lot of people don't know how to read the lab report, and that's fine. We give everybody a single number for their risks and a, a single value for their risk, and a single number for their labs. So you can have all these complex labs. Like we run a COVID risk and prognosis panel, which is really just a health panel. And we give you a zero to 10 score. That's at the very top of our report. And then we break it down into categories and we break it down into individual markers. But the score is something that people like because then they get engaged. It's like, oh, I want to, I'm a 4.5. I want to lower that score. You know, rather than getting into the weeds of what is my homocysteine, or you know, what is my white blood cell counts or what what is my uh, HDL level, we focus on taking taking all this complex data and melding it into a simple simple set of values. You know, a letter grade for your risks, a numeric score for your physio- physiological status, and now you have very simple ways to measure are we doing right by you mm-hmm. and are you doing right by yourself? Because if you retest in six months, that score better be better. And it's very easy for people to understand and track how they do in our program.
1: That's excellent. Cause, uh,
0: well, it's general health education, yeah. essentially you're a risk management expert for uh, health. on the health side. Uh, it's the same thing a risk yep. management expert does pretty much. Here's your chances of being in a car wreck. Oh, you don't drive, so your chances are really low, um, as compared to, for instance. I, I like
3: that. I like that analogy, you know. And we, we my, take, takes my, a lot of data to yeah to really because my number would be if I, came, if I came
0: I came into your office, my number would be a ten. Uh, I uh, run first responder calls where I'm around sick people all the time, especially COVID yep. sick yeah, people. Yeah,
1: but not a ten because you're in excellent health. Your BMI is basically nothing. I mean, your your fat index is nothing. Six, but I um, see. I I, I you know. think
3: I think Mick, rather than saying that you're a ten, that you have you have overcome through your resilience what could easily have been a ten.
1: Environmental factors I like the high factors, numbers factors, your yeah. job and whatnot make that number higher, but your overall health and what I feed you yeah. makes uh, that number that. lower. I give you that. Because yep. I'm I'm big on nutrition. I insist on, you know, we we sit down as a family every night, eat dinner together with no TV, no phones, no electronics, no distractions, and we eat a, a healthy three to four course meal, heavy on the vegetables, light on the fat, you know, heavy on the protein. Um that low on the carbs. Like you know, we have we have a starch, a vegetable, a a, a meat, um, and you know, sometimes two vegetables. Yeah. So yeah. And
3: fresh good and freshly prepared. Yes. And exactly. I just tell prepared. people it's like I, I so when, when when someone's done with me in a consult, it's an hour, I give them this detailed I formulated, I have these modules and formulate it as I'm going along. And I give people probably between five and 10 hours of more content that is specific to them for them to to watch thereafter. So I, I have this nutrition video, which I think you'd enjoy. And, and, and the bottom line is I don't have a dietary style. I think diet means deficiency. And so all I do is I give people nutrient density tables. It's like, try something different. Like artichoke is one of the highest in...
0: I love artichoke. In
3: insoluble fiber, but also very high in, in micronutrients like magnesium and things of that nature. And a lot of people don't eat artichokes. So they watch this, they see these, they see these different charts, and it might it might provoke them to try something a little bit different because variety is extraordinarily important towards uh health, particularly microbiome health and things like that. So this is some of the basic things we we do. We create a lot of Hopefully, easily understandable content and suggestions to help people travel down that path.
1: Yes, it's so easy to grow microgreens, and they're so yeah. they're so sprouts. Yes, they're so sprouts. densely nutrient packed. It's insane. It's like so
3: densely yeah, packed, like thirty and, you know, to five hundred
1: times the amount of nutrients in a in a sprout or a microgreen than there is in the full blown vegetable. So sure, yeah, we I, we'll just sit there and, and pick you know, pick some sprouts off the tray as we walk past this. Love snack what, you, love what you're mouth. doing. It's great. So
3: love a way of comporting yourselves.
1: You know, I mean, we don't, we don't trust doctors anymore. I'm certainly not going to let anyone come near with, come near me with a needle ever again. So Oof. I damn well, better keep the family healthy. If, uh, if I don't want us to be stuck in that situation. So
3: that's our whole thesis. Get healthy. Avoid the doctor. Live avoid the, the jab. Ones. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Completely. Well, we appreciate you
1: coming on doc. This was amazing. Thank you so much.
3: It's been real. I enjoyed every minute of it.
1: Well, we'll yes. keep in touch. Time flew by. We'll yes. keep in
3: touch.
0: Yeah, you,
1: you, you <laughs> yeah. went about as
0: long as what a normal podcast goes for. Yes, <laughs> us. We normally try to keep our guests about an hour, but you, would love to, to,
3: you, uh, you want to talk, would love to hey, I'm done with it. I can't wait to see it when it's published because uh, it was a lot of fun. It yes. truly was. I,
1: I will send you the link. It'll be out. Um, actually, it'll be out probably tonight. So yeah. Yeah.
3: Like Amazing.
1: Tonight. Yep. Yeah. Well, since we well, went Nothing will be out of me tonight. I'm
3: going right to the. Uh, <laughs> well, it's I'm, not going to be that on fast Eastern now. time zone. So I'm going so as quickly yeah, yeah, as we I are. can. We're,
1: we're in Georgia. We actually used to be up closer to you. We were in Connecticut, but we left the great cold north as. now the people. Well, I'm in Tennessee I used Oh, you're in Tennessee. That's right. You said you're in Boston. I was just in Knossville. Tennessee. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm sorry about that.
1: Yeah. You were talking about the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. I was up there not too long ago picking up a. A puppy from uh, some Mennonite families up there, like I mean, the girls in homespun with the cloths on their head, old school, like you know, um, yeah. But
3: what kind of of puppy did you get? An Irish setter. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I I got a. uh Catahoula leopard dog recently from the same group.
1: Same kind of group. <laughs> hey. Those dogs are crazy. Yeah, I was about to say one of
0: my first dogs was a Cataluna Cur. <laughs> I got that sucker down in Louisiana and the lady, when I showed up at the house, she went out to the backyard. She's like, yeah, I got to go get the puppy. And she reached in the hole into the ground and dragged this <laughs> dog out of this hole. And I was like, Wait, what What in the hell am I getting? (laughs) She gave me this dog and the dog's cool as hell, but he was the most violent sum of gun I've ever seen. I busted a, a guitar over his head and he was chewing on the neck and I was sitting there going, you have got to be kidding me. You have completely lost your mind dog. They just don't screw around. The,
3: they're, well, no, my, Mine was four months old and a bear came in my backyard and she attacked them.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh no, they're fearless. They're absolutely. Those dogs fearless. are
1: born with toxis, uh, toxoplasmosis. They, <laughs> like, are, <exactly>. no <laughs>
0: they are amazing though. They're the most loyal animals. Like when my, uh, my ex-wife and I were together uh, when I get into bed, she, he would not let me anywhere near her. Well, he was a smart dog. Like, he was like, he would growl at me. Like if I'd there roll, was a, there even than us humans, huh?
1: Too bad he didn't eat her. If, if he,
0: if I rolled like slightly to her, oh man, he would no. growl like, like a deep, like, like don't screw around. Cause I'm about to snatch the life out of you. And yeah. I was like,
2: oh.
0: all right, you just deal either way. Doc, right. We really do appreciate you coming on and, uh, have a good night and enjoy, uh, Tennessee. You guys are getting some snow up there, aren't you?
3: it's, it's dusting only, but I'm going skiing next week in North Carolina. Cause Ooh. they just oh. go up into the Smokies and they, they have actually really good snow right now.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Have
1: fun. We haven't well, been skiing in years.
0: You enjoy that, sir. And, <laughs> uh, we will definitely talk to you later. We're Thanks definitely bringing time. you back on.
1: Yes. Most definitely. I would love it. It'd All be right. my pleasure. We'll keep in touch.
0: Appreciate it. Doc. Thanks so much. Thank Not you. a problem, sir. You have a good night. Bye for now. So, uh, yeah, folks, uh, that was, uh, Dr. Lewis there. And, uh, what an amazing guest. Seriously, that was I mean, a, that
1: was amazing. And we could have talked for another hour. I really did not I
0: honestly did not think he was going to go for f- Friggin two hours. That's amazing.
1: Well, Uh, and, and honestly, we didn't really know what to expect either because like I explained at the beginning of the podcast, I met this guy because I introduced myself to him as the queen of England and he found that to be absolutely hysterical.
0: Well, this is true because
1: that's just me. You know, I'm just facetious and I don't give a shit. I don't care who you are. I'm going to say what I say. I have no fear and no filter I well, literally you have put your no pants on, one leg at a time, whatsoever. just like humans do. But you know, I have no filter whatsoever. Well, so either way, folks. <laughs> <It doesn't matter.
0: laughs> first, this is our first live one. Um, Woohoo! And uh,
1: we made it. We made it on the live. We've so- actually
0: gained more viewers since we've been on, so I'm actually really happy. I'm not going to give out any numbers yet because it's still a little scary, but. Hey, no, that's, okay. we started, that's We just started. We just right, got the word out right there. Right now
1: we're only on Twitch and yeah, we're, um, we're, we're going to figure s- out how stretch to it out to, to Rumble and CloudHub
0: Cloud Hub, Cloud Hub. and yep. uh we're we're going to push it out to a couple That'll different places. We'll actually get
1: places. our videos up on CloudHub because I'm so bad at posting But them.
0: we're trying to what we're trying to do right now is we're just trying to get it started, get it rolling, trying to figure it out because it's Find really out what difficult. The hell we're doing it's really difficult to work it with the recording system we're using. So, and we're still screwing with lights. That's why there's a lot of shadow in the room and we're trying to figure out which best place to put the lights and whatnot. But either way, uh, we got other stuff coming up. We got to go. We got a lot more important stuff to do. Uh, If you hang out, you might be surprised by what happened in the next uh, 15 minutes minutes to 30 minutes. Yeah. So it's up to you. Um, Mm, uh, I know we have one long-term listener who's sitting in here and I think she knows what's coming next. Either way, folks, uh, I'm not gonna take it.
1: Not gonna take it.
0: So uh, have a great night and uh, we will
1: talk to you later. Thanks for listening.